You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast, Welcome Home. The Father's heart is for you and waiting with open arms. Join us today as we jump into a message from our series, There's No Place Like Home. We are addressing the question, what is home? You don't have to click your heels, just step inside. There's a seat for you. So get ready. God is on the move. What's up, Emmanuel? How many of you love Jesus today? You love him? Amen. Big shout out to all of our locations today gathered together to worship. It wasn't worship powerful today, getting to spend time in God's presence. Uh, I want to start off today's message. The title of my message is FHB, and I'll explain what the, the acronym means here in just a moment, FHB. Um, I, we raised four sons, Jody and I did, and, and as the boys were growing up, dinner was a really, it was a circus. Let's just be honest. We would try to get everybody to sit down at the table, and that was the whole process, right? And get them to sit still, and then we wanted them to wait to eat until we had prayed. And so there was this, just this reality that they were grabbing stuff, and, and you know, I'm, I'm slapping their hand, not yet, you can't do that yet, and there's all the chaos of, of, of family. In fact, we would uh, sometimes have our boys hold the hands when we would pray, so that they couldn't do something else with their hands while we were praying. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was an experience. One of the things that we also had to add into the mix was what would happen if we had guests over? And how would they behave at the table when guests were at the table? And so we had an acronym, FHB, which stood for Family Hold Back. What we wanted to teach our, our kids that when guests are over, they get the first place. They get the first uh, bite of the food. They get the first option for the dessert. Whatever it may have been, FHB meant family hold back. Turn to the person next to you and say, family hold back. <laughs> now the goal was is to put others' needs before consuming your own needs. But we live in a society where we want the closest parking spot. We want the most likes in social media. We want the attention on us. And uh, Jesus has a different way of looking at life. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 14 today. There was a day when Jesus attended a dinner and he observed what was happening at the dinner. Can you imagine Jesus showing up at your house and observing your dinner time? Or if we think in terms of the family of God, Jesus showing up at this church. And what would he observe? And uh, in, that, he, in this mo moment, we're going to get a clue that Jesus sees things differently than we do. Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 7, it says, When Jesus noticed, you could circle the word notice or highlight it in your electronic version. Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table. And he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, 
we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a crazy moment because it's talking about the head of the table. And in ancient times, the head might have been this seat. And the most important people got to sit close to the most important people. That would have been the head of the, that would have been the foot of the table. And so what he was saying is stop trying to get the prominent space, the things that are only for you. There's a, another acronym I'm going to talk about today. It's WIFM. What's in it for me? W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? How many of you know we live in a what's in it for me culture? Where we rate everything on how it affects us, uh, how we liked it, how it made us feel, or how uncomfortable it made us feel. Uh, you know, when we go to church, it's like, I, the music was too loud, or uh, I, I, I like different songs, or the preacher yells too much, or uh, you know what? It's too long of a service. It's not long enough. They didn't speak enough on the topic that I love. And it's kind of built into this cultural aspect that we're in. We rate everything on how it affects ourselves, but we don't think about how it affects other people. When we see news that may affect us directly, was the stock market dropping lately? Now we're worried about that, but we might not be as concerned about somebody on the other side of the country or somebody on the other side of the globe that just lost a family member. So we rate everything based on how it affects us personally. There's a term that Jesus could have introduced 2,000 years ago that we call emotional intelligence. Being aware of what other people at the table are experiencing. Understanding and being aware of how what we do or what we say impacts them. If you think about it, in our stories, we get outraged sometimes at things we don't like, but we're callous to things when others are hurting. In families, we can teach our kids to become aware of and care about what others are experiencing. If you think in terms of development and growth in our walk of faith, but also just basic life things, we need to teach the next generation it's not all about you. I mean, we're... Kids are growing up, and every, the parents go wherever the kids go. They support it. It's all about the kids. And we're actually giving them decisions and choices over their life before they're ready to make those decisions. As a society, we're giving it over. You get to pick what you want to be. But these kids need to learn it's not all about you. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not all about you. <laughs> I think it could also be said about marriage or in close friendships. It's not always just about you. Sometimes we can get caught up in our schedule and our activities, and we don't even realize it. We're only pleasing ourselves. We're not thinking about the impact it's having on someone else. When Jody and I were first married in our first year, I had a really full schedule. And uh, I was finishing my uh, final year at North Central. I was a full-time youth pastor at Emmanuel. And uh, I led worship on Sundays and had to go to rehearsals on Thursdays. And I led two connect groups for middle school and high school students. 
So every night of the week was full except for one day. And I remember my life was full. I was stressed out. And the way that I liked to get the stress out was to go play basketball. And so I was all excited. I came home from work and Jody came home from work and we we're talking. She's like, so what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go play basketball. And I put on my, my stuff, went to the other room. I didn't realize I was having an impact on her. And I came back in the room and she had tears running down her face. And I said, what's the matter? I mean, you know, that's the wrong question to ask sometimes. <laughs> I said, what's the matter? You always want to play basketball. Now, the younger, immature version of Nate said the wrong thing next. I said, what's wrong with basketball? It's not unethical. It's not sinful. What do you mean? Some of you, it might be, what's wrong with hunting? What's wrong with fishing? Right? There's other versions of this, right? She wasn't saying there was anything wrong with basketball. I mean, you know, what she was saying is you had one free night and you're choosing to be somewhere other than with me. I was only thinking about my needs. And we can do that with just about everything in our life. We can fill it up, our schedules, our time, and we're not stopping or pausing to experience what someone else is feeling and to see what they're going through. We can learn from that as a church family too. That when we rush and we come in and out and we fill our schedules, sometimes people miss out on the good version of us. Sometimes they miss out on us altogether because we fill our schedules so full that they never get to experience our presence. In the church family, we can become bored with doing the same thing over and over again, and, and eventually that becomes pushed out of our schedule. Think about church. People can get bored with Bible studies and church services and groups. And I've heard, you know, when you first get saved, it's like, woo, I want everything that I can get. Sunday church, I'll go to prayer meetings, I'll go to Bible studies, I'll go to whatever. But fast forward the tape a couple of years. And you'll discover that, yeah, I've gone to thousands of services. I've done Bible studies. I've done it all. And we can begin to drift away from what's important and go after our own needs and miss who else was at the table. Who else we need to be connected to. Who else we can serve and who else we can love. The dangerous place to be, Jesus said, is that when we're sitting and wanting to sit at the head of the table, we're in danger. So look what he says next in verse number 10. He says, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, you will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a lesson of humility. In fact, I think it would be a great memory verse, verse number 11 for us. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In fact, put that on the screen, would you? I want you to read that out loud with me. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be See, there's a warning. If you're always wanting the witham, What's in it for me? You're going to find yourself in a different place. 
But if you say, no, I want to serve and be connected and aware to what's going on around me, then you'll find that the desires of your heart come true. Then Jesus gives some curious instructions to all of us. Look at verse number 12. It says, then he turned his head and said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, notice the word you, everybody say you. So he's turning to the host. He's saying you, I want you to think about you on this. Don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. You might as well have said, hey, when you host a church service, or when you have somebody over to to your house, or you pick some, some time to spend with someone, do it completely opposite of conventional wisdom. Do it different. Don't go the easy route with all the people that you like to hang out with all the time. Don't just stay in your clique, your group. Go crazy and invite all kinds of people who aren't ordinarily invited. Outsiders. Think about this. He says the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, people that ordinarily aren't a part of your story. And there's a reward if you do this, Jesus says. What does he say? He says, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, he begins to speak of two different banquet moments in the same story. And you'll see this over and over in the Gospels, where Jesus will address things in the present tense and also in the future. The first banquet moment is the current banquet moment that he's in. And uh, within that space, the kingdom of God is available right now. He's talking about the right now moments. His grace, his mercy, his salvation is available right now. Did you know that, that the battery of the gospel has not run out? It's fully charged in 2022. I'm like, what year is this? My battery might be running out, but his doesn't, right? And I want you to consider that his forgiveness and his life-giving power, his ability to sustain people going through the most difficult points of their life is fully charged right now. It's available. It's a banquet, if you will. And in Luke, God says this, this is a home. This is a place where people are invited to come to the table to interact with the Father and the family, and to be connected, and to be made whole. And then at this present dinner table, we call church on Sundays, and every time that we gather, there are people who are not here yet. And he says, you need to get them here so that they can experience the present tense power of the hope of the gospel. But you might not be thinking about them because you've already got your own closed group You're in a fixed place. I remember Dr. Gordon Anderson used to say that once you turn 40, it's impossible to change without the altar. Now, you can move that dial however you want in ages, but the truth is we kind of get set in our ways, our habits, our relationships, even with church. 
Who do we bring with us? Who do we invite? Easter seems to be okay, but any other time of the year? We're only thinking about ourselves when we get in the car. We're thinking about where we're going to go. Now, that's the present banquet. The other banquet that Jesus is referring to is a future banquet. There's something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Did you know that there's a time coming when everything will change? This world will go away and a new one will come. The Bible says that the, 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 the trumpet will sound and Jesus will return and take us home to live with him forever. Right now, he's preparing the heavenly home, the heavenly table, a house for us. And so at the same time, Jesus is referring to two different banquets, if you will. And he begins to tell a story of what's important for us now and in the future. Look at the next verse in verse 15. It says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. They are speaking in future. And Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guest, come, the banquet is what? Ready. But they all began making what? Excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. How many know these are all legitimate responses? I just bought a cabin at the lake. I just bought a new Ford truck. I need to spend time with it. Right? All of these are legit. And then it says, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. And so his master said, go out into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find, anyone. I want you to think about this. Who's your anyone? Who is your anyone? Anyone you can find. Who is that person? There's still room for more. He said, so his master said, go into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So the invites go out. The usual guests have excuses. And there's always excuses for missing out. So the master moves on. He's not going to wait for the whiffum crowd, the what's in it for me crowd. And he goes out and they bring other people in. The servant pivots and begins inviting outsiders, people that don't have any religious experience, people that don't feel like they're qualified to be in a church, people that look different, sound different, speak different than anybody that they're used to hanging around. And the master says there's still room at the table. Verse 23, for the, his master said, go out into the country lanes behind the hedges, urge them to anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Some versions say, my house will be full. Listen, the father is not going to stop 
with what we've already experienced. He's not done thinking about your next door neighbor. He's not done with the people that you work with or go to school with. He's not done with your cousin that nobody wants to talk to in your family. He's not done. You know what? He sent the invitation out, but he's not going to beg anybody. He wants us to hear his voice and be a part of what he's doing. So I want to give you real quickly four things of how to overcome with them faith. What's in it for me faith? Because if we're going to follow what Jesus is talking about in his story, we're going to have to overcome some things in our own journey. The first thing is this. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples in John chapter four, he says this. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In other words, they're there. You just don't see them right now. You're going to wait. You're going to delay. You're going to procrastinate to do some things. And Jesus was saying, don't procrastinate. It's here now. It's here right now. Notice the people that God places in your life. Everywhere you go, brokenness is everywhere. You know, with all the things that are going on in modern society, all of the, the, the new social movements that promise so much freedom for everyone, you can be what you want to be, declare what you are and what you aren't, and you can do what you want with your body and do everything else isn't making people less broken. No, no, no. The only way that you can find wholeness is through Jesus. Your creator created you in such a way, he's the only one who knows how to fix you. But if you notice something, there are people around us every single day. People's marriages. The pandemic has ravaged marriage. There are people going through depression and loneliness. There are people all around us all the time. And Jesus would say, open your eyes. See it. Notice them. Notice the brokenness. This past Friday, uh, several members of our staff represented you at at the Teen Challenge Gala. And uh, it was a powerful thing downtown in Minneapolis. And uh, there were hundreds of Teen Challenge current clients in their choir. It was a powerful, powerful experience as they shared their testimonies of how Jesus helped them overcome addiction. It was just an incredible experience and the, the, the joy on people's faces. And some of them are still fighting against and battling against things. And one of the things I love about Emmanuel, we have hundreds of ex-addicts in our church. We have hundreds of people that have overcome in our church. So many of the people on the, on the stage, even when they graduate, they find themselves at home at Emmanuel. I love it. But it was a reminder to me as Pastor Rich got up there and Pastor Rich and Lynette Sherber, who have led Teen Challenge in the Twin Cities in Minnesota for 31 years, they handed the baton off to the next leaders at that night. And it was a powerful experience. In fact, Pastor Rich and and Lynette go to our church. They're part of Emmanuel. Would you give it up for Pastor Rich and Lynette for their faithful service all these years? It's amazing. But here's what I was reminded of 
is that there are hidden challenges all around us if we just open our eyes to the need. See it. Don't overlook it. Don't pass on the other side of the road. See it. How do you overcome with faith? You open your eyes. You wake up. Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up. They might be asleep for other reasons during this message. Okay. The second thing is how to overcome with faith. Pray for what you see. Pray for what you see. There's this great story in the Old Testament of a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, an incredible leader who was an Israelite, but he didn't get, um, he was no longer in the country of Israel because Israel had been taken over and he was in exile. And so distant family members and family history was in Jerusalem. And he heard the stories about how Jerusalem had fallen apart. Houses were abandoned, city gates were burned, and it was actually just a, a horrible, it was like some of the images we're currently seeing from, from Ukraine after the battles. It was, that's what it was like. And by the way, we need to keep praying for Ukraine and everything that's going on over there. We have a ton of people in our church from that region of the world. We cannot stop praying for Russia and for Ukraine. Amen? Got to keep praying for them. But here's, here's what happened. For Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears this story and he decides, I got to do something about this. So he asked for permission. He had actually been promoted. He was a godly man. He got promoted a very high rank in, in the nation that he was in. And he got permission to go back and tour Jerusalem. So he's walking around the city and he's actually observing everything that was burnt and broken and wrong and in disarray. And as he's walking, there was a deep burden that began to develop in his heart. And so he begins to pray. And you can read his prayer. He begins to talk to God. God, I, I, something needs to be done. And I want to be a part of it. Would you give me favor? And he prayed about the burden that was on his heart. Listen, when it comes to everything in your life, the things that bother you, what you do with what bothers you determines what the outcome is. And I'm not just talking about whether or not you become a Nehemiah. I'm talking about the outcome of your own heart. Because in what's in it for me, kind of cultural understanding of worldview, when we look at things that we're bothered by, we get outraged. In fact, we piggyback on other people's outrage. We're triggered by things. Political parties and, and marketing companies and social media right now. They want you to be outraged so that you'll click on somebody else's stuff. And it's literally intentional. But listen, the more outraged we become, the less changed we are. But if instead we learn to take our burden to the Lord in prayer, now all of a sudden our hearts begin to change and we partner with heaven who knows how to change what's bothering us. Are you hearing me? Burden can become the birthplace for vision in your life if you learn to pray about what bothers you. Instead of whining and complaining about conspiracies and what the government is doing, listen, all of that's probably happening. Newsflash, there's an end of time coming. And the people of God are not to be caught up in the wind and waves of the doctrine of the age. The people of God need to hear the voice of Jesus. 
And if you get caught up going back and forth and just whining all the time about public schools and the decline of our society and where things are going, your heart won't change and neither will your city. But if instead you learn to get in the car and drive around your city, notice the things that are bothering, begin to pray, and when you pray, the burden grows in your heart, the tears fill your eyes, you can no longer criticize the people you're praying for. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching up on you now today. And you thought I couldn't preach sitting down. Come on now. No, seriously. And I think as a church, I want to challenge believers to get rid of a critical spirit and start praying it through. Pray it through. And I don't mean one time. I mean, get an intercessor's heart where you begin to pray it through. Be bothered. But take your bother to the Lord, and then you can love the people that are underneath the power of the spirit of the age. If you don't, when God brings those same people to our church, they will pick up on the fact that you don't love them. We're in a very serious season of time in America where there's a lot of, lot of competing ideologies. And the church gets caught up in the story. There's recent news that gets out about the Supreme Court's decision that's coming on Roe v. Wade. And it becomes this outrage machine back and forth between people. And by the way, if you want to know where I stand, that's a baby inside a mother's womb. That's a human being in there, okay? But, but listen to me. But listen to me. The women that are going through the challenges that they face, many of them the unwed mothers, who deal with, what am I going to do with this? Outside the church, they've got people just saying, get rid of it. It's easy. And yet they come to our church and they're sitting here and they're next to you and you don't know they're going through it. Do they feel the love of the church to carry them through what the next steps of carrying that baby will be? Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? May this be the kind of church that doesn't just pray for an end of Roe v. Wade, but we are the kind of church that cares for people in our community that are going through brokenness. Some of them have already done it, and they feel the shame of it. But when they come to church, they are welcome at this table, that they can be at the head of the table, that we will serve and love them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Pray for what you see. Don't just get caught up in the battles at the border and immigration. We got to pray for our nation to be a nation of laws and that people would follow through on those things. Yes. But right next door and at your local school are immigrants in Minnesota that God has called us to love. We can't only just go on mission trips to Central and South America, but when God brings them here, the church better be reaching them in this house. Come on, somebody. Ha! 
But you can only do that with a pure heart when you are praying for it. Yes, be bothered. I'm bothered when I hear the news and the manipulation of some of the decisions politicians are making. It rocks me to the core. But what do I do when I get there? I get on my knees. I go over their heads to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I beseech him, heal our land, heal our land, oh God, heal our land. How to overcome with them faith. Number three, join the Father's mission. Join the Father's mission. The New Testament church community was broken and persecuted people who courageously and sacrificially focused on the mission Jesus had left in their hands. They cared for the outsider, reaching the lost. In fact, that New Testament church is so powerful. Our very next sermon series will start in two weeks is on the book of Acts. Because I want to see what was going on in that early church that is relevant for 2022. The Holy Spirit empowered them. And people want the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the healings. But it was so much bigger than that. They were focused on mission. They had purpose. And because they had purpose, they had miracles. A church that only wants it for themselves. Wants the feelings. Wants the the feel-good aspect of it. What's in it for me is never going to see the miracles that the New Testament church saw. Now, if we want to overcome that propensity, that human propensity to only serve ourselves. We need to begin to serve other people. We need to serve others because serving others reconnects us with the Holy Spirit who is working in others. God is at work in our church. I'll give you an example. In our church and all of our locations, our kids' numbers are climbing. They're going up. And I love watching our nurseries and our our preschoolers and our elementary kids coming to church. In fact, that's the future of our church. That's the present of the church. It's the most important part of our church. If we can see kids come to Jesus, they can have faith for a lifetime. And by the way, when kids love church, they bring their parents to church. It's true. I want to be in church. And so I'm so proud of all of our kids team and Everybody that's serving faithfully. But let me tell you this. They're getting tired. They're getting tired because as we've come out of the pandemic, a lot of our church hasn't been ready to jump back in and serve. They're more accustomed to, no, I go to church for what's in it for me. And then you get bored with church because you're only here for what's in it for you. But let me just say this. It's time for our church to be engaged in the mission. Something happens to you when you get up in the morning and you drive to church on on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night or something, and you know somebody on the other side is going to be served by you. You may not like your hair explosion in the mirror in the morning. You may not like feel like super excited, but when you get to church and you get to wave at somebody in the parking lot or you get to serve behind a soundboard or you get to, uh, to burp babies in the nursery, something begins to change inside of your heart. You look a little bit more like Jesus. You see, you're choosing to go the low route, the humble route, and then God exalts you. 
Serving others reconnects you to the mission. This is why we talk all the time about growth track. We're passionate about it. Why? Because I don't want your faith to grow stale. If it's only for you, it won't work. A faith that works is a faith that receives the grace of Jesus and joins Jesus and extending his grace to others. That's a faith that works because you're where the Holy Spirit is moving. I double dog dare you to get out of your theater seats and jump into the mission of God. And I just mean everybody in different ways. You can open a door for somebody once a month or periodically. You can, you can get involved in kids ministry. Listen, there are so many people I think right now that God has called to be youth leaders or kids teammates. But we're sitting there and go, no, 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 we've got our excuses. And I'm just saying this to you, church. I want you to get involved. And if you don't, the invitation is going to go to somebody else. Because God's not interested in people not at his table. He wants everybody at his table. And it's time for us to get involved in the mission that he's called us to do. Can I get an amen to that? Join the Father's mission. Finally. Number four, how to overcome what's in it for me, faith, is realize the clock is running out. Jesus is coming back. There is a moment when it's too late. Parents, you know this, or at least you'll know it later on. When your kids grow up, it's too late to parent them. You got to parent them now. You got to love them now. You got to give them your time now. You wait till it's too late. It's that old Johnny Cash, Cats in the Cradle song. It's too late. You can Google that later on if you'd like to. I've had a reoccurring dream in my life. You know how the you know, counselors will tell you that there's different reasons you have dreams, different things that you need to work on or whatever. One of my dreams, it's a reoccurring dream. It doesn't happen every week, but it happens every once in a while. Is I wake up and I look at the clock and it's a half hour into service time. And I'm supposed to be preaching. And I'm at home. And so in my dream, I know my heart rate is going up. He's like, I got to get there. I got my door. I'm driving there. I'm sending messages. I'm like, I'm getting dressed. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. And, and I pull in and, and, then, and then in my dream, I come up and there's somebody else already preaching. And I missed my moment. Don't miss your moment clock is running out. You need to jump in. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus is returning. He's coming back. And it's our responsibility to hear what Jesus is saying. Let's knock on the door of our neighbor. Let's invite new people into our story. Let's love on the ones no one else is loving on. Let's invite them to the table. Because at the table, the Father is waiting for them.
Today, I'm going to ask John, Pastor John Carlos to come and he's going to sing a song that really takes everything that I just preached and kind of puts it into a, a melody. Music does that. I love the gift of music. Goes up underneath our radar, right? Our defense mechanisms. And I want you to just, while Pastor John Carlos is singing, like you just to pause and reflect on the words of Jesus. Just read the story from Luke. Reflect on what Jesus is saying to you, to your family, to us as a church family. Go live 
forgiven people, not perfect people, who came to church every Sunday, but we were filled with the love of Jesus in such a way that broken people around us felt comfortable and want to follow our pathway to Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that there's room at this table, that there truly is no place like home. What if our hospitality was such that we noticed the people around us at church, that we noticed people near, that we didn't just come to church and rate the music and try to get out to the cars but that we paused and we were the people of God and we noticed who was at the table. We courageously stepped out of our comfort zones to join him in the mission. What would happen? Would you stand with me today? I want to pray over you in each of our locations. When I'm done praying, our location pastors will come and uh, they'll, they'll bring leadership for the rest of the service. We're almost done here. But I want to pray over our church today. Would you just put your hands out like this, like you're receiving a gift? We'll have a final prayer blessing in a moment. But I, I just want that openness. Lord, you see our hands, you know our hearts, you know our lives. Lord, we're just grateful that, Lord, you accepted us, that you loved us. Thank you, Jesus, that while we were still sinners, you died. Thank you that, Lord, you didn't give up on us, even though we have all the, the, the scars and the, the things that we have done, the sin that we've held. Lord, you still went all the way for us. Thank you, Lord, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life that we truly are called your kids, that we belong at your table. Lord, thank you, Lord, for making a way for us. And now I pray, Lord, that, Lord, not only would we be recipients of your grace, but you would help us to move beyond the what's in it for me faith and to notice you and to notice the people around us. Lord, that our eyes would be opened, that we would begin to pray. I pray for a deep prayer burden to be released in our church, to care for the things around us that bother us. May we pray it through. And out of that prayer, I pray, will come great love for others and great vision for how we can join in the rescue of humanity. Lord, I pray that you do a great work in our church. Add to our number. Lord, I do pray, God, that you would fill, you said your house would be full. So fill each location of Emmanuel with people, Lord. And if, it, Lord, we've already invited some and they've got excuses, then, Lord, I pray, help us to go into the highways, into the byways, into the hedges, 
and into the communities around us and invite others to come in. Lord, send us the broken people. Send us the people that don't have it all together. Send us the people whose marriages are, are, are falling apart. Lord, all the people that don't have all the right things, send them to Emmanuel. And when they come, I pray, Lord, help us to be a part of their healing process. Let us be a church, oh God. The Lord sees healing happen every single week in our stories, we pray in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, and we trust you that truly there is no place like home. We pray God fill this home in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmmanuelCC.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.